Hello and welcome to March's podcast episode. And today we have a special guest whose name is James Meads. And he's going to be talking to us today about Splendor Master Data Management. This podcast is brought to you by ProcurementExpress.com. My name is Kala. I'm from Telso Procurement. So James, welcome. Kala, thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Great, great. Pleasure to have you here. So yeah, you know, in terms of uh, an introduction, do you just want to give a brief sort of introduction in terms of your background and also talk to us a bit about your new business venture, uh, procurementsoftware.site and um, how we can all use it? Yeah, so my background is I'm a I'm a procurement professional through and through. So I'm originally from the UK where I grew up and did my education and started my career. And I've lived abroad now for the past just over 15 years. So uh, I started my procurement career as a graduate trainee with Jaguar Land Rover. So my background starting out was automotive, buying direct materials. And then after, after about five years, um, Working for a couple of tier one automotive suppliers, I, I moved to Germany and spent most of my professional career actually in Germany until until the end of 2018 when uh, when I left the corporate world and decided to to start my own business. I'm now located in Sofia, Bulgaria, just as a bit of you know location independence, doing the whole geo arbitrage thing, being able to choose your living costs and and tax rate to some extent. Yeah. So I've done so moving on from direct materials, I moved into the consumer goods industry after the uh, after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, decided I wanted to be in an industry a bit more recession proof. So I went to go and work for a company that made toilet paper because, as COVID has shown us, we all need that when times are hard. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I did sort of all sorts of indirect spend during my, during my time in, in FMCG. So I bought MRO, I bought facilities management, I bought CapEx, and I finished off actually buying um, all of the logistics and transportation procurement for our operations in sub-Saharan Africa. So also spent a bit of time in, in Nigeria and South Africa, which was, which was fun and very opened my eyes to a lot that you, that you wouldn't typically see uh, in Europe. So, um, yeah, and then really what, what pushed me to leave was I got frustrated at spending up to half of my time as a pretty well-paid global category manager just doing administrative and operational tasks. And, you know, the work that I was doing didn't really challenge me a lot of the time. And that's really that that and wanting to have a bit more time and location freedom, I guess, on the on the pull side was what really drove me to start my own business and decide to go my own way and did a bit of freelance work for my former employer they asked me to stay on to look after one project and then when that finished it was pretty much just before covid hit so through necessity mm -hmm. really uh, i started a podcast called the procure tech podcast just as really as a bit of personal branding and it was a subject that i was very very interested in you know the uh, how digitization and automation can, can help to to automate or facilitate a lot of operational and administrative stuff that we get dragged into in procurement and and really off the back of that and learning how much innovation and how many new startups were coming into the space you know you only see the top of the iceberg really if you're a practitioner and you don't dig deep into the topic but that really then led me 
led me to then build a business off the back of that, which is what became procurementsoftware.site, which at the time of recording this, we launched uh, a week ago, which is essentially a completely free to access directory uh, for, for anyone on the buy side of procurement technology tools and software. So as a buyer, you can go on there and, and filter based on multiple different criteria to say, for example, I want to look for P2P software that are still startups and that are headquartered in Europe selling to mid-market businesses. And that would then spit out four or five, let's say, solutions that match those criteria. And then you as the buyer or the CFO or the digital transformation expert would then be able to go out and do your due diligence on those. Because I think the what I thought was the the key problem in terms of what takes up the most time is just understanding what's out there on the market. And the average yeah. busy procurement leader or CFO or, or, or even boutique consultancy, unless they're working for a big corporate, they don't have the resources to read a 50, 60 page report from someone like Gartner or Forrester, uh, let, let alone what it costs them to download it. So that was really the pain point that I wanted to serve. And obviously it's a business. We have to make money somehow. We we we're, we're going to monetize it through sponsored content from software providers, but it's not a pay-to-play platform. So anyone that's registered in the directory is registered for free with a basic profile, but we will just monetize it off the back of media content that we can produce for them and giving them a few features in their profile that they can that they can upgrade to to make sure that we cover the most solutions possible while while still enabling it to be free to the to, to the buyers. Yeah. And sorry, um, quickly, what type of information will you be uh, recording on these software providers? Standard information. Yeah, so we typically we typically do two or three paragraphs, just brief, briefly summarizing what each company does. And my content writer is not from the procurement and supply chain space, and I I, I did that deliberately so as they could summarize it mm-hmm. in in plain English without using any any technical jargon. And then we've got a few key statistics like, you know, year founded market sector that they go after, you know, are they mid-market? Are they going after enterprise? Are they going after SMEs? The maturity of the solution itself, where the company is headquartered. So for example, if they're an early stage startup on the West coast of America, then they're probably not going to have customer support on a European time zone, just as a as an example so that's often a key factor when dealing with quite small software companies so yeah that's they're the they're the foundational data with with a link back to their site and linkedin page as well yeah and i think the the thing you mentioned before before we started was that you wanted um you know buyers to actually have the opportunity to do their own research and therefore you know your site wouldn't be providing reviews or feedback on the various solution providers correct that's right Callum. and i kind of did that by design because if yeah. if you're a major corporation i mean if you're a google or procter and gamble or you know big fortune 500 company the solution that you're using might be the bee's knees for your requirements but if you're a 200 million euro or pound company then it's probably not going to be a good fit so yeah. i just find buying procurement software you know, it's it's not like buying a book off Amazon, or it's not even like buying a smartphone. You know, it's very it's very subjective based on your company size, industry sector, 
and level of procurement organizational maturity as to what will be a good fit or a not so good fit, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's wonderful. Thanks for uh, sharing that information with us. Um, in, sorry, in, one other question. In terms of the categories, you have a broad range of categories in terms of solution providers. Is that correct as well? Yeah, so we've got about 50 different categories that we've categorized them against. And then each solution provider can be tagged with up to three different categories. So we wanted to make sure that no, we, we didn't want sort of tag spam so to speak so we didn't want a, we didn't want a solution provider to identify as everything but we realized that we realized that we didn't want to pigeon them pigeonhole them in one single category which is what you know a lot of these two-dimensional solutions maps tend to do and you know as, as companies as software companies expand the features that they have they do branch into different different categories but you know we have to limit it somewhere otherwise they could claim to be all things to all people when really they're still going to have one area that's going to be their their core competence sure oh, great i mean that leads on to the next part of the podcast which is uh, one of the categories i presume will be about uh, vendor management um there is uh, or there has been a, a quote from the wall street journal which essentially said that um, up to 65% of procurement leaders report limited or no visibility in their entire supply chain. And ultimately what that means is that they're yet to make the most of uh, digital tools that are out there for their disposal uh, to provide them and help them have that visibility over supplier, you know, su- you know supplier um, data. So what I want us to talk about really today is uh, vendor master data management, uh, and you know what is it? Uh, what are the benefits of understanding and having accurate, up-to-date information about your vendors? Um, and then spend a bit of time talking about the various solutions that are out there in terms of their functionality, as well as you know what are the pertinent issues to to think about when when looking for a solution provider in in vendor data, in vendor master data uh, management. So, yeah, so first of all, in terms of uh, vendor master data management, um, yeah, if you could just explain a bit about it or what's its purpose. Yeah, so in, in its most rudimentary form, it's essentially the vendor, it's, it's essentially the data that you need from your supplier during the, the intake or the onboarding process to enable you to issue purchase orders to them and pay them in its most, in its most yeah. basic rudimentary form. You know, you need to have you you need to have a correct email address or in the past fax number to be able to transmit the order to in most cases. And and you need to have a valid a valid bank account uh, and and valid tax information to be able to pay an invoice and and add or deduct the the VAT or sales tax where where necessary. So that's that's the fund. That's the fundamentals. And then what? What usually comes on top of that, you know, depending on how important the supplier is to you and how strategic they are, you're going to then have some kind of due diligence process around, well, A, ensuring that the bank account's correct so as you're not subjected to fraud, which especially happens in more in some emerging markets. You know, going back to my corporate days, we had a much more stringent uh, vendor onboarding close process in places like Russia and Africa than we did in, in Western Europe, for example. Um, and yeah. also, and also things like compliance certification, things like liability insurance, or, or if you're in industries that that require certain certification, like food production, for example, you're going to need a lot of 
environmental health certificates from from your supply base as well as you uh, as you onboard them likewise for construction you're going to need uh, you, you you're going to need you know in, in insurance and and other other sort of federation memberships and that type of thing so that's it that's in its most basic form once you get a little bit more beyond that vendor management or vendor data management kind of then becomes what we know in the procurement world as as SRM or supplier relationship management which then it, that can be a lot more strategic as well as more day-to-day operational and tactical when you look at things like quality management and supplier audits and working on you know at the very at the very top of the pyramid working on things like supplier innovation and preventative risk management which is you know, a very big topic at the moment because of well, we've just had COVID, and now obviously we've got at the time of recording, we're recording, we've got a war pretty much on our doorsteps yeah. as well, which is testing supply chain resilience, and and that all forms into the more sort of strategic end of it. But in its most basic form, it's ensuring that you've got the necessary tools to be able to onboard and then compliantly pay your your vendors. Yeah, you know, I think. A lot of organizations are doing this already. I think um, the argument is that they're probably doing it more manually um, in terms of collating information about suppliers and so on. So really in terms of, you know, the, the, the costs involved in in such solutions against the benefits, do you want to talk about that? In terms of the software, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there are various different types of software that you can use for this and the fundamental problem is that if you're reliant on microsoft word or excel and email and then typing that or retyping that data into whatever it system you're using to pay your suppliers the obvious problem with that is number one it's prone to human error and number two it's very very reactive in the sense that if a supplier changes his address or changes his bank data or um, payment terms or certification or whatever whatever you need to be able to maintain that vendor record, then you're essentially reliant on technology that is almost 30 years old if you're managing that by, by, by spreadsheets and by email. And there are much more intuitive ways that you can do that now. And it's at the lower end of the price spectrum, it's more of a self-service vendor portal where, where a supplier can go in and update his vendor records, you know, whether it's his, his address or, or VAT number or bank account. And that would then push that data directly into the customer's ERP system or, or, or finance system to enable that to be updated when, when invoices need to be paid. And by by doing that, it serves two purposes. It it takes that work, which is very administrative, non-value added work. It takes that work off of the buyer, or if it's not a buyer that's doing it, you know, if it's a very small business, it takes that work off the accounts payable clerk or off the office admin assistant that's perhaps managing the any any any, any local buying, and it puts that onus on the vendor to maintain their account information which i think is is pretty reasonable if the vendor wants to get paid and they're changing their address or their their vat number or bank account details then i think it's pretty fair to say that the onus is on them to make sure that it's updated and 
if they can do that themselves in a portal in less time than it takes and without being dependent on third parties to take an email, print it out, and then input the data into their accounting system, it, it A, gives the vendor assurance and ownership of the, of the problem and knowing that it's, been, that it's been done, and it removes a lot of administrative work on, on, the, um, on the customer side with whoever's managing the buying there. So that's the most basic format, and that and that is pretty that's pretty much within reach to a to to an SME. There are platforms out there that you can go out and buy on a per license basis that you can um, just off the top of my head that you can go out and purchase for less than I think there's even stuff out there that you can purchase for less than a hundred pounds or euro a month if you're just using if you just have one person that needs a license for it. So it's it's very, very affordable if you think in terms of change. If you just think in terms of payback and ROI, and you look at the amount of administrative work saved, it's very, very affordable. Yeah, you can then go into much more. Sorry, Kelly, you wanted to jump in? No, go ahead. Well, I was just about to say. I think one of the other benefits as well is that you know using such a software solution allows you to track all your suppliers, hundred percent of your suppliers. Whereas maybe on if you're doing it manually, you may just focus on your you know high end suppliers. And may not have visibility across all your all the suppliers you're dealing with. So I think the digital solution will also allow. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point actually. Because yeah, any any buyer is only going to manage the suppliers that they're actively managing, and and in yeah. any and in any organisation, you're going to have a long tail of of low value, low low spend suppliers that your that your procurement department probably isn't or almost definitely isn't actively managing. So unless you've got something like a one-time vendor policy where you just pay them ad hoc when an invoice comes in, then then having some sort of self-serve process to manage those vendor records is is essential really to ensure that you don't just drown in in, in admin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Sorry, before I came in, you were talking about you were just about to talk about ROI. Yeah. So the, yeah, I mean, the ROI really is just the administrative is just the administrative savings. So, what's the opportunity cost of your purchasing manager or or your accounts payable team spending time on that rather than doing something more strategic or more value added? And certainly, if you look at you know procurement manager's salary, it's a no brainer. But even if you look at an accounts payable clerk's salary. If they're in if they're in the UK or in Western Europe, then it's it's going to be a no-brainer. Uh, the, the technology to make this a self-serve process uh, will pay back in weeks and months rather than years. Yeah, I think another benefit as well that is quite I guess quite difficult to to quantify is the fact that you freed up of all the administrative tasks. As you rightly said, you can focus on the more strategic relationship building side, um, which you know. Tr- attracts multiple benefits, um, financial benefits that, you know, gives procurement managers the opportunity to do that. Um, Particularly in a period like now where there's so much uncertainty and disruption, the ability to manage those relationships or be on top of those relationships and be able to foresee risk problems and find solutions to them because you're not burdened with all the administrative side of, you know, um, vendor vendor data is is an added benefit as well. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, procurement often get asked, you know, why aren't we doing more on supplier risk management? Or why aren't we doing more on deepening our supplier relationships? And the simple answer is because procurement procurement are not like sales. They don't have lots of admin assistance to, to, deal, with administra- with, to deal with administrative and operational tasks. In most companies, procurement is a very, very lean department. 
And I think the honest answer is that procurement professionals just don't have time to do it because they're overwhelmed with with firefighting and dealing with operational problems, usually because either a process is broken or because our data is rubbish. Yeah, exactly. You know, thanks for that. That that brings us on to the next part, and we may have touched on it already, but in terms of um, what's out there on the market from a functionality point of view, as you rightly said, you know, buyers will have different requirements, budgets. What range or what spectrum of offerings are out there in terms of vendor master data solutions? Yeah, I mean, it starts from pretty simple tools that are aimed at, at the SME market or are aimed at mid-sized businesses that that are sold pretty much on the per license basis, um, depending on how many users you need, which means that, you know, if you literally only need perhaps one user from procurement and one user from accounts, that's that's very affordable, even to pretty small bit let's say you know five million pound or euro business would would still likely see an roi on it that goes all the way up to solutions at the very high end which cost you know over 100k a year which pretty much do a whole full stack of of vendor and contract life cycle management activities so you can manage your whole vendor relationship within that portal so you can link you can link any contracts to that vendor. Um, the portal would then flag when it's coming close to the expiry date or the date that you have to serve notice if you don't want to renew. Um, it will. It, it can. It can look through the system and allocate all the different vendors that sit within a certain parent company. It can. Uh, they can. They can take out duplicates. You know, the the classic example is something like IBM. You know, if you've got 10 different entries for IBM in different countries or because you've got I.B.M in, in as one vendor and then I space B space M as another one and all of these different permutations that are essentially duplicates, it can do that. So as it can bring all of the spend under one tree. So as you know what you're spending with, uh, with each supplier, you've got platforms that can go in and look at fraud, for example, that when you're adding a vendor, it can check the the IBAN number of a supplier to make sure that it's valid. Um, you can you can do you can do checks on on vendors' financial stability through third party integrations like uh, like Rapid Ratings or, or Dun and Bradstreet. It really depends on how much you want to spend. There there are also tools out there that do that do the whole vendor master data cleansing on on a push basis rather than on a pull basis. So what does that mean? That essentially means that a third-party solution can can go and scrape the internet for data on every single B2B company globally and then push any updates to that data. So say they've changed their company registration number or their VAT number, and it can automatically then push that to your ERP system. Obviously, if you're yeah. a £10 million pound or euro business, you're not going to go and spend money on that. But if you're a Fortune 500 corporation, you know that's going to provide a lot of added value to you because if you think of all of the spade work that that's going to save your administrative staff or your accounts team all over the world, you know if you if you're running multiple ERP systems and you're active in a hundred different countries, it's soon going to pay itself back by just automating and making that work a, a push function rather than a manual pull function. Yeah, 
particularly from a compliance perspective as well. Right, compliance is a whole is a whole other kind of worms that we've not even approached. But but yes, absolutely. If you've got if you've got requirements in terms of in terms of insurance, or if you're monitoring thing, monitoring things like you know sustainability or, or supplier diversity, which is which is becoming more and more of a focus nowadays, has been yeah. in North America and and South Africa for years and years, but it's uh, it's yeah. becoming more so in in other markets like Europe now. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think it's also you know having a having a solution like this will allow make it easier to demonstrate that you do have. Um, you know, strict adherence to compliance, which makes you very attractive to potential clients because they will want to, you know, look at your supply chain to make sure that you have that compliance before they work with you. So yeah, and it's almost—I mean, it's—we're kind of going on to a little bit. We're going a little bit off-piste with this, but I mean, Germany has just well, it comes into it, it comes into effect next year in 2023, but they've just brought into or, or they've or they've just. Have, um, they, they've just brought they, they've just brought into law uh, a, a new supply chain law that essentially makes the end customer responsible for uh, or the end the end customer as in the producer responsible for second and third tier suppliers within the supply chain so I mean, we're kind of going a little bit off topic more now into things like material traceability and things like child labor corporate social responsibility but again yeah. if you can incorporate that to a certain extent into your vendor onboarding then you know in the words of the great philosopher john bon jovi we're halfway there <laughs> yes exactly um before we wrap up just to just to touch on um you know key issues that are obviously relevant to, to such software solutions such as cybersecurity. you know to what extent uh from a bias point of view you know do you have any idea of how we can assess various solution providers in terms of cybersecurity. Obviously, now more than ever, cybersecurity is a huge threat, particularly, um, you mentioned fraud earlier, but from a fraud perspective, um, you know, there are a number of fraudsters out there who would like to put themselves in between the vendor and the, the buyer purchaser and you know, send invoices so that the buyer pays them, the, scam, you know, the scammer, as opposed to the vendor. Um, so cybersecurity or the you know the, removing the risk of scamsters being able to get in between that vendor purchaser relationship via these software solutions is is critical so you know what steps are you aware of that these solutions are taking into account yeah it's a, it's a fantastic question i i'm not a cybersecurity expert i will just add as a as just as a provisor before i before i answer this but there are certain basic. The most basic step you can take is just to add into your RFP when you're when you're looking to source this type of software. What cybersecurity measures are the software? Are they taking? Are are they applying as a as a software company? There is also an information uh, an information security standard from ISO, which is ISO twenty seven thousand and one two seven zero zero one, which is a standard information security cybersecurity standard which on some procurement software websites, you will see the badge that says that they have that certification. So that's that's a good one to look out for. Other than that, and this obviously depends on the size of your business, but involve your IT people. You know, they know a lot more about cybersecurity than than you would as a as a procurement or, or perhaps as a finance professional. So without being without being deep into the topic myself, 
um, they would be the three most simple steps I would take. Yeah, I mean, on that last point, you know, good procurement always involves engaging all stakeholders when building your specifications. So obviously, if you do have an IT department or an IT consultant that can support in developing the specifications that you go out to solution providers with, then the more robust your specifications will be. Absolutely. Yeah, so another issue as well is, you know, the usual phrase of, you know, garbage in, garbage out. How do we, you know, how does this software or does this software regulate the quality of data from the suppliers that gets, you know, inputted into the into this into the solution? Or is that something from an internal organization perspective that needs to be looked at in terms of managing quality of data and oversight over that data? Yeah, to use the usual consultant's answer, it, it depends. Um, I mean, let, let's be let's be clear. If you digitize a crappy process, then you end up with a crappy digital process. So, the, there is a certain amount of uh, of responsibility on the end company to make sure that they have a process that that ensures that the software can do what you ask it to. So, you know, depending on how you set up the software, if you're if you're setting up the software, let's take an easy example. If you're setting up when the supplier enters his bank account details, if you're not setting up some sort of some sort of formula, some sort of formula or some sort of verification to ensure that the the bank account has the right alphanumeric string then you're setting yeah. yourself up for failure if, if you know that if you know that a german iban number for example starts with de and then has 20 digits in it i think it's 20 might be six i can't remember but that you need to be writing you need you need to be programming that software or your software provider needs to be programming that software to make sure that that it that it returns an error message if it doesn't have that so there are basic steps that you can take you know you can't you can't a bad workman always blames his tools. It's, it's a bit cliche, I know, but there is a, an element of truth there that you can have the best software in the world, but if your process is broken, it's not going to work for you. Sure. And I guess also, um, you know, ensure periodic updates. So, you know, making sure that, you know, period, on a periodic basis that vendors do reconfirm, if you like, such information such as bank details, tax information, addresses and things like that um, will put the onus on them to to update and keep the, the data quality uh, at a high level. It's just good practice, isn't it, to send out a, yeah. to send out an automated survey once a year to ensure that the, the, the information that you have on record is correct. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing which is, which is very important as well is, you know, it's one thing to have, uh, you know, software and all singing, all dancing, great software, great features and so on. Um, but ultimately, it's only as good as uh, the number of vendors that actually engage with it. So from an adoption point of view, do you have any um, you know, pointers as to what things to look out for in a software that are likely to lead to or support adoption on the part of the vendors, not just on day one, but consistently you know, engaging vendors that continually use this, the software, not just use it once and stop using it again? Because ultimately, you know, this software only works if vendors, you know, engage with it on a regular basis. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a great point. You're never going to get a hundred percent compliance, and 
the guy around the corner from the production plant that come that comes in to to clean the air conditioning units once a year and maybe bills you three thousand pounds or euro once a year is obviously less likely to proactively maintain his vendor data than than somebody that's you know, coming in every month to maintain your printers and photocopiers or that's supplying raw material to you every week. So you're never going to get 100, 100% compliance, but not charging the vendors to use it is a good start. You know, there are, <laughs> believe it or not, portals that, that charge vendors to access them to send invoices. Um, the other thing is just having a, choosing a system that has a great user experience and user interface on the supplier side as well as on the buyer side the easier you make it for them to do, you know, the more likely they are to, to comply with it. You know, it's, um, yeah, sure. You look, you look at just, a, just, how, just how easy it is now to apply to renew. I'm talking now for the UK, but it's so much easier now to apply for your passport than it was 10 years ago because it's all done online <laughs> yeah. and it's very intuitive and you, you don't have to fiddle around getting the passport photo with the right background and the right dimensions. And it just takes a whole lot of hassle out of it. So, you know, think of that example in mind when you when when you put yourselves in the in the vendor's shoes around, you know, they've probably got a number of these different portals when you think about all the customers that they have. So the ones that they're more likely to use are the ones that are the most intuitive and easy to use for from their perspective. Sure. I think as well, especially with the, the new you know, startup solutions on vendor master data management is the willingness of those solution providers to be flexible in their in their you know in their solution so for example if you know you buy a software and the vendors are saying look it's great but if it did this it would make our lives a lot easier what is the willingness of that you know solution provider to to tweak um you know the interface to make it more user friendly as it were so i think potentially you know looking out for suppliers that have a flexibility or at least a willingness to change that interface based on feedback you get from vendors may improve adoption as well. Yeah. So that really depends on if you're going for a more bespoke, you know, higher end solution, then then clearly there's an element of customization that will be yeah. involved in that. Because if you're selling a piece of software to, to enterprise clients, then they're going to want things individually that, that other customers wouldn't need. If you're selling a, a, a 99 euro per month license-based software as a service product, and you as a customer go back to them with a laundry list of of of, um, of bespoke requirements, then surprise, surprise, they, the the provider's probably <laughs> not going to do it. They they might put it on their tech roadmap and incorporate it into the next upgrade. If if you're one of many customers that are asking for the same thing but they're they're highly unlikely to be able to to program that in for you themselves when you think you know if you're paying if you're paying 99 euro a month for a license think what it costs a software developer to make that those changes if they have to go in and program yeah. it and it's it, it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to figure out that it just doesn't pay back for them as a business to do that sure well that makes a lot of sense i think that's it for today in terms of the discussion around uh, this particular category of solution. So, look, thank you very much, James, for uh, enlightening us on, first of all, your own business venture, uh, procurementsoftware.site. And I hope we, you know, you come back in the not too distant future to let us know how it's going. Um, and I'm sure we'll find something equally as interesting to talk about, to talk about then as well. 
So thank you very much. Yeah, we'd love to. And thank you, Kala, for having me on. And uh, good luck with the rest of the podcast. Brilliant. So thanks again. Uh, this uh, March's edition podcast is brought to you again by procurementexpress.com. Thank you very much and look forward to speaking to you in April. Thank you. So that wraps it up for another episode of the Gross Profit Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts.